Welcome back to 90 Days New. Today we are going to conclude our New Testament reading plan podcasts, and this will be our final episode before we take a small break and launch into our Old Testament reading plan, the 12-week Torah, that will be available for you to access uh, shortly, and uh, the reading plan is already posted on the Living Water Church website. And so go take a minute or two to download that today and get ready to start that on the 15th of January. Um, But to wrap things up today, we're going to take a brief look at Matthew. Those of, of you who are members of Living Water Church and have been attending, you have been completely immersed in Matthew for over a year now. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time in this book. Um, Those of you that are not currently attending Living Water Church and have not been tuning in on a regular basis, you can go to our website or to our Facebook page and find uh, a verse-by-verse exegetical layout in the previous sermons that have been that have been listed there. They span back all the way to, I believe, November of last year, of 2021. And we began going through Matthew chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so I don't want to just spend too much time repeating what's already been said from those. But I will bring out some of the major contours of the book of Matthew and repeat those for you here because I think it's important as you read that you have the proper lens on those hermeneutical lenses that allow you to see and highlight certain aspects of the book that maybe otherwise you would just gloss over and would not consider. Matthew is a Jewish flavored book and what I mean by that is he writes from a Jewish perspective as a Jew However, most of the Bible was written by Jews. The only real exception to that may be the book of Luke, or the, the writer Luke, his works. And uh, even that's hotly debated. But outside of Luke, every other biblical writer that we know of is Jewish. However, Matthew does something a little different than what some of the other writers, especially the gospel writers, do. And he aims his writing towards a Jewish audience, and he does so by enhancing his reliance upon Jewish texts and the Old Testament. He goes through great measures to make sure that the reader connects the dots between Jesus's life, ministry, and teaching and the Old Testament prophecies and predictions, and not only that, but the events that unfolded in the Old Testament. As you read through the book of Matthew, you will find this phrase that reoccurs that says something like this. This happened to fulfill what was said, and then it'll either give a prophet's name, or it will just say the prophets, or it'll list what they actually predicted. And this is important for Matthew because he's connecting Jesus back to these predictions. However, sometimes this phrase, fulfill, doesn't always have a direct correlation to a prediction. And that's important for you as a New Testament reader to understand. That fulfillment can come in about three different categories. The first one being prediction and fulfillment. Predictions being where something was stated as 
an event that will unfold in the future, and then Jesus unfolds it. It's like if I predicted that uh, you were going to trip and fall in the mud later today, and then as you were walking into the store, lo and behold, you tripped and fell into the mud, that would be fulfilling the prediction that I made. And Jesus does that. The Old Testament makes several predictions. They say the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. They say he'll have some connection to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is Galilee, and that's where Jesus grows up. However, there are other types of fulfillment that we might see in the book of Matthew, uh, one of them being the fulfillment of accomplishment. Jesus makes the statement in Matthew that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Well, the law was not a prediction. The law was a set of regulations that Israel were to abide by if they were going to remain faithful to God's covenant and to remain in that covenant, in the promised land, under God's protection, they had to uphold their end of the bargain. I often refer to the Ten Commandments and those regulations and stipulations as a rental agreement. They were going to live in the land, and they were going to have God as their bouncer, you might say, keeping any threats at bay. And as long as they upheld their end of the deal, he would uphold his end of the deal. And there would be blessings, and they would be fruitful, and they would have peace. But unfortunately, as the story unfolds, we see that they don't do what they were supposed to do. They ignore the Ten Commandments. They turn to other gods, and they just completely um, fill the, the entire land that they've, they've been given with idols. And because of that, God ends up sending them off into captivity and this is a repeating occurrence. It happens again and again and again. Uh, if you look through the book of Judges, you'll see that they repent of their evil, and then slowly but surely they gravitate back into sin, and then God sends new oppressors. And then they'll repent, God delivers them, and then they return to their sin, and then God sends new oppressors. And it's just a cycle that happens over repeatedly. But then you get to Jesus, and Jesus finally is the one person who shows up and does what the law says. He upholds the rental agreement. He upholds the stipulations and the covenant requirements. And in doing so, he fulfills them. It's not a prediction, but it is fulfillment. Which brings us to the third category, and that third category is the one that I've really tried to emphasize at Living Water Church. And so those who are listening, who've been attending, they know this word, and they know it all too well, uh, but it's the word recapitulation. The word recapitulation is important for understanding how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, and Matthew relies on it heavily. When you go to the birth narrative, Jesus is avoiding Herod's wrath when Herod has all these children killed, and he flees to Egypt, him and his family. And it says that he did so to fulfill what was said in the Old Testament. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, was there any prediction in the Old Testament that says, one day the Messiah will be in Egypt and I will call him out? No, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that makes any reference to the Messiah going to Egypt. However, 
the quotation that's used there is from the book of Hosea. And in Hosea, it is referring to, the prophet there is referring to the Exodus account. In the Exodus account, if you recall, Israel spent time in Egypt, and at first they were being provided for, it was a, a good place where they were uh, provided with grain when the rest of the world was in a famine. This all took place because of Joseph and him being sold to Egypt and then bringing his brothers down there. But over time, a new Pharaoh arises who does not know the Israelites the way that the previous Pharaoh does, and he begins to enslave the Israelites. And they call out to God, and God provides a deliverer, and his deliverer is Moses. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Through the ten plagues, Pharaoh releases his grip on them, Moses parts the Red Sea, they leave, uh, leave Egypt. And so, out of Egypt, I have called my son. His son was Israel. And out of Egypt, they came. However, this group of people, his son, they are the same ones that rebelled and continued to disobey and continued to violate the covenant stipulations and requirements. They violated the rental agreement and... So though he called his son out of Egypt, in a sense, it was a failure, a mess up. Be, not because of his failure, not because of God's failure, but because of Israel's failure. And so now Jesus going to Egypt is this divine way of God reorchestrating history all over again and now bringing out his good son, his son who will honor the covenant agreement, who will live up to the stipulations of this rental agreement. And he's calling his son out the same way that he called out Israel. Jesus is now coming out of Egypt, and he's being called out, and he fulfills that event by recapitulating it, by reliving it out. And this is a process that happens again and again throughout the account of Matthew. At the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, we see him coming to the Jordan River, being baptized by John. And it says that he, he did so. Even though John was reluctant to baptize him, Jesus told John that they needed for him to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I, that always bothered me. I was like, what does that even mean, to fulfill all righteousness? And I'd always heard it said, well, Jesus was baptized to show us that we need to be baptized. And that never really sat well with me. That didn't seem like a good way of describing fulfill all righteousness, a good way of explaining that. And so I finally, when I understood recapitulation, it started to connect. You go back into the Old Testament and start in the beginning, and what you have is at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, you have a watery chaos, and the Spirit of God is moving upon the waters, and out of the chaotic waters, he brings life. He brings Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are brought into existence. They are put in the Garden of Eden, and they are put to the test with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fail the test. And person after person fails the test, and what you end up with is eventually... Noah's flood, a return back to the chaotic waters. And then God says, well, I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to bring life out of these chaotic waters. And so he spares Noah and his family, and the waters subside, and Noah gets the same command to, to go into the world, be fruitful, multiply, 
and then he is put to the test, and he fails the test as well. Well, you fast forward to the Israelites in Egypt, and where did they go? They go to the Red Sea. It's chaotic waters, and it's chaos all around them, the darkness. Um, it's even real true darkness with one of the plagues, and the Pharaoh is chasing them, and God brings them through the chaotic waters to bring them into a place of testing. That's what the wilderness is, is a place of testing. Are they going to trust God, or are they not going to trust God? And they fail. You get to the next generation, and they go through the waters of the Jordan to come into the promised land. And they, it says, are put to the test. It says that right there in Judges, that some of the enemies were left in the land to put them to the test. And so this is, this is a repeating, reoccurring theme. It's happening over and over. It's cyclical. And every time it happens, the people fail. But now Jesus, in his ministry, he comes to go through the waters to fulfill our righteousness. He's doing what Adam and Eve had to do. He's doing what Noah had to do. He's doing what the Israelites did twice in each successive generation. And now Jesus comes out of the waters and God speaks favorably of Jesus, saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus immediately is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, just like Israel. And he's gone into the wilderness to be tested, to be tested, just like Israel was tested, just like Adam and Eve were tested. And so Satan shows up and he puts him through uh, some of the same tests that he put Adam and Eve through, uh, just like Eve was tested in three different distinct ways by the the fruit being pleasant to the eye and pleasant to the taste and able to make one wise. Jesus gets three distinct temptations in the wilderness. Um, and one of them, he shows him the kingdoms and says, you can have these. One of them, he appeals to the taste buds and to his hunger, his physical need, uh, because he's hungry. He's been fasting and Satan says, turn these stones into bread and you can do that. You're Jesus. Do it. And Jesus won't do it because it would be violating his power in, in a wrong way, in a selfish way. And then he takes him up on the temple and says, hey, prove yourself. Make, be proud of who you are. Jump down from here and prove that you're the son of God. And that's the pride of life. It's the same, same thing that Eve was tempted with when she considered that the fruit would make her wise. It was a pride issue. And so we see the comparisons here. Jesus goes through the waters into the wilderness to be tempted and to be tested, I guess I should say tested. And as he comes out victorious, unlike anybody else before him, everybody else failed the test, but he comes out victorious. And at that point, we know that he's something different, something unique, something special. And that's what Matthew's getting at. And this fulfillment motif, he is showing that Jesus recapitulates all these Old Testament events. Uh, they show him as the new David. They show him as the new Moses when he goes up on the, the mountain uh, where the Beatitudes are given. It's very similar to the account of Moses. We see in the transfiguration, Jesus going up and talking with Moses. His face is shining like Moses' face shined when he was up on Mount Sinai, when he came down from Sinai. 
Uh, not only that, but Jesus is talking to them uh, about his departure, his exodus, uh, because he's about to take an exodus. Um, but his exodus is different. It's not going out of Egypt. It's, it's leaving the world through martyrdom, through being nailed to the cross. Um, but yet there are so many correlations and parallels to the Old Testament account. And Matthew makes these, these uh, striking comparisons for us to see that Jesus is indeed is the fulfillment of all that was predicted, all that was um, demanded, and all that was, just everything that was. He's reliving it out, and he is doing it in a better way. He is indeed the, the second Adam or the last Adam, and he lives out God's kingdom measures in a way that Adam could not, in a way that Noah could not, in a way that Abraham and the Israelites could not. And he does so in a way that pleases God and provides a way of restoration for you and for me. Don't miss this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the King. Don't miss it, that he is fulfilling everything that was expected in the Old Testament. And don't miss it, that all of what he has accomplished, we can be a part of through faith in him. So we're going to wrap up there. Uh, Let that be a lens that you can put on as you read through the book of Matthew and as you conclude it. I want to wish you a happy new year and I hope to see you in the next podcast series, the 12-week Torah. See you then.